And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane, who's a little soggy tonight. I am How a you little doing? soggy. LA just keeps raining. I know. I keep thinking, like, okay, we're done now. This is more rain than I think I've ever seen here in, like, 12 years of living here now. I think I'm I'm done now. Remember what happens in misery when it rains. She, she's not happy every time it rains. She's not happy. That's how, I think there's also a movie called L.A. Rain Killer or something. There's some deep cut I saw a couple years ago. It wasn't that great, but it was something always somebody murders every time it rains in L.A. But I remember you talking yeah, about that. I cannot that remember the name. Cuts. I cannot mm. recall the name. Um, but I, I, I do love the way everything is like things aren't just greener. It's insane, especially how dry it gets where I live. I'll walk down the street and there are just all these flowers everywhere now where I'd never seen flowers. It looks so weird. No, I even just driving because we went down to Oceanside last weekend and just driving the stretch of the PCH down to Oceanside, nothing is ever green. You're so used to seeing just the surrounding landscape as just these brown mountains and everything is so green with these giant poppies, the California poppies. It's weird. It doesn't feel like I, I think we're LA. headed to Annihilation movie. Uh, I think world. so, too. So if we can just get rid of the pesky humans, I think this Earth might have a chance. So that would be good. I think I'm evolving into a plant fungus bear thing. Oh, good. So um, that's what I'm gunning for. We'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I, I think mutated bear is kind of my end goal. you got to work so, yeah. uh, I'm working it. I'm working it. So. Uh, speaking of uh, mutant bear goals, we saw Scream 6. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> Worst segue ever? Not even a segue? Ever, ever. Not even. They not call even. that forced. They, they say that we have a, we're on a deadline today. We're like, we're, we're yes. hitting marks. Um, so we did. We went and saw Scream 6 um, last Friday evening. We saw it with a packed house at um, the AMC 16 in Burbank, our regular haunt. And God, it was so amazing to see it with such a packed crowd and people cheering and screaming and yelling and you know responding to the movie it's been a while since i've seen a movie that had that type of responsive um audience in town yeah smile i think had a great like fear and horror response Mm -hmm. but you know what it is it definitely feels generational it feels it reminded me how we all were kind of feeling when we saw scream one like the and scream two give the giddiness of seeing that in a theater, the scares. I didn't feel that way. Like watching it didn't mean I didn't like it. I, I liked it perfectly fine. I didn't feel what the crowd's feeling anymore for this particular franchise just because it is Scream 6. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. at a certain point, you know, you can only feel so many or five. Is it five? No, this is one, two, three, four, six. five, six. Okay. Um, but uh, but it was entertaining. And I I, I think I, I did like the kind, of, the kind of cold open film studies lecturer being stalked, you know, from Ready or Not, She's Great, Samara Weaving. Um, and I, th- I thought that it was playful. It's just the meta side of it in terms of dialogue does get a little much after a while. So that was where it, the only thing that bumped for mm-hmm. me as a slasher, some of the survivors from Woodsboro from all different times are now living in New York City and they still hang out together and they consider themselves to be this cool survivors group. Bought all that, bought Gear Weather showing back up and, you know, um, even Hayden Panettiere's character coming back. I was like, I'm with it for all of these kind of connections and reemergences in a really cool new city environment. But the meta stuff was where it threw me because whereas in the first one, it felt cleverly woven in. And even in the second one, by that time they were in college, it felt cleverly woven in for them to now be doing commentary on the sixth in the franchise and try to be analyzing kind of where 
the franchise goes from there. I'm talking about reboots it and felt- stuff too much where you're like, I know this is a reboot, but you don't need to keep talking about it. Yeah, it felt, um, it felt wedged in for yeah. me. And that was the only stuff that I wasn't there for. Radio Silence gives kills pieces. They were amazing, the murder set pieces. Um, the setup, some of the suspense was phenomenal. I dug the characters. Um, but yeah, where where it lost me, I, I even love, you know, the, and I won't explain the ending, but where it goes, like the killer's MO and what they're doing and how they're related back to the original Woodsboro stuff, I thought was really clever. Um, but yeah, it was just the, the only issue. Yeah. Stop. There was this one scene where they all stopped in the park and literally sat down and analyzed what happens in a reboot. And that's where I was kind of like, oh, okay. Which like, they probably feel they have to do to that for because yeah. it's Scream. But I don't think you need to when you're at a part six. I think all rules and all bets are off. I would say the one thing I, if I was them, I'd be careful with if there's another one coming is like, just don't be so precious towards your core characters that you, none of them can die because it starts, it stops feeling very dangerous if yeah. too many people keep surviving too many movies, in my opinion, without trying to spoil too much there. I will say once again, Jenna Ortega, total star. Like, yeah, I mean, she's not even the lead. She's like the second lead and yet still steals every time she's in something. So, and she's the one that people have taken away from this. And that's not to say that the lead isn't good, but like, she's the one that I've seen doing all the press. She's the one that people are like, oh my God, did you see Jenna Ortega and yeah. scream? Like she's the one who people have taken and she does. She steals the scenes in a lot of the case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she is just electric on screen. A good fun movie. I would certainly watch one more if they could get um, Sydney back to kind of complete the whole circle. That'd be cool. Um, yeah. So let's hope that happens. It made a boatload of money. It made more money than the last one, which is insane. It's like it's it's yeah. subverting the, some of these trends of sequels. So that's you know that's a good sign that this is what the kind of movie someone wants to see in a theater. And the beautiful thing is horror continues to dominate the box office. Like that is the nice takeaway from this as I entered meetings and all the, the normal like pitch and script meetings on Monday morning. It was okay. Well, horror's hot. Let's keep this train rolling. And as long as people are seeing horror at the box office, studios will continue to invest in horror that will go to the box office. Um, as soon as it starts waning, it's suddenly going to be, we're all going to get relegated to like, you know, million dollar budgets again. But as long as they can show box office dollars, suddenly those budgets go up and our worlds get to keep expanding and we're not all just writing house horrors. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's where I'm hoping it's going is back to um, a little bit more of the 1980s where horror becomes a much bigger landscape and the films get bigger. Uh, one cool thing I wanted to show they did their deep homework in it is I think I leaned over and whispered it to you when we're watching the movie but at one point there's a sign above one of the shops I believe it was and it was said Abe Snake and that's Wes Craven's porn directing name which uh alias that he used uh so I thought that was quite great that they there was they love yeah there was A lot of horror Easter eggs buried throughout. There was just, um, and a lot of them were more kind of, I'll say, elbow jabs, like, you know, mentioning Suspiria or making sure to work in, you know, Giallo films. Or at the beginning, Samara Weaving literally has a lecture about how slashers work in the cold open. Again, some of it was just really kind of jabbing you with it. And then other stuff was more subtle, like the Abe Snake one was really cool. Yeah, it is. It is a little Once again, there's a character named Dr. or it was uh, last name McKendry. The the lead's last name was McKendry. Yes. What, yeah, which character was, was it? I thought it was, I can't even yeah, remember now. now. We went, One of the characters. We were watching something I, and, and you, yeah, we were listening. This was, it. it was in Scream. Oh, okay. 
Um, it would have made more sense if it was the Samara Weaving character. That would have been Wouldn't that it? would have been a good reference. <laughs> a a film horror doctor uh, being being yeah. maybe living, maybe dying. Who knows? If you haven't but seen Scream Six, you'll have to watch. A it. couple people tagged me on Twitter um, saying, "Like, did you pay attention to the character's last name?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't even." No, I think I may have said hello to Radio Silence once on a podcast like 10 years ago. So I don't yeah. think that anything was uh, related to me. But that's cool because there's not a lot of McKendries in the world. So I'm just going to assume they just picked a good name. Nice. Um, all right. Well, so we saw that one together. I believe there's one other we both saw. Uh, yes. Last night. And I will say this one, I won't necessarily say is 100% horror, but it's super horror adjacent. So we are going to discuss it tonight. Yes, and this horror. is... Boston Strangler on Hulu. Yeah, so I've, I'm actually a fan of the original movie, The Boston Strangler. It's a, a good Tony Curtis performance uh, made in the 70s. And the part of this movie that was shocking to me was the part where they show the making of that movie briefly <laughs> in the right? context of the movie because you realize they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They were making a biopic horror film, you know, a movie about the real killer before the case was totally sewn up and locked it's away. Off. And you realize how dangerous that is to history because now I grew up just going, oh, Albert DeSalvo is the literally the Boston uh, Strangler. That's what I thought my whole life because of that film. Uh, this film kind of changes the script and gives you a different narrative. We won't say exactly what it all is, but it's it's also, I thought, a better version of She Said, which came out earlier this year about the two uh, female reporters who kind of broke the mm -hmm. Harvey Weinstein story. It's not a that one's not a bad movie, but it's not very exciting. Like it's kind of boring watching them do it. Whereas Karen Knightley and Carrie Coon are just a slightly more fun to you know do, especially Carrie Coon actually. Um, in this one but yeah she she's a reporter who's often relegated to the kind of uh shitty what would they call like woman lifestyle desk yeah and yeah. then but she has a drive in her and and at the start her husband's actually pretty cool he seems like a pretty open-minded uh husband to try and like at that time trying to like let her follow her dreams and do her thing and as the story goes as she starts to get this fascination with these strangulations that are happening across boston that 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 definitely firmly make it a horror film just because they're the few sequences that they're are in brutal it. yeah they're, they're showing yeah. and they're ugly yeah and we're very much kind of following the killer simultaneously to following her and the other reporter that gets put with her and the whole setup is um these two reporters kind of start tackling these series of strangulations happening around Boston while the police are very much disregarding them. Um, they're happening to women. A lot of times they were happening to older women. It's very much kind of a statement on these marginalized societies. And then these two um, reporters who weren't necessarily on the crime circuit anyway, come forward and say, why is no one investigating these older women being killed? There seems to be a pattern. And so they basically tackle the story. They put it on the front page of the paper. The police then have to report on it. The police get pissed at them for drawing attention to it. And then they're the ones who are kind of pushing the case forward. They expose that the police have particular evidence that they're not investigating, that they have um, suspects that seem very likely that they're just for some reason not arresting, that the police are really trying to bury the story because they don't want the city to panic. But these women were the first to step forward and say, someone is preying on these older women and we need to stop it now. Yeah. One so in particular, really one one of the women in particular really is the one who, well, what the police hadn't seen as a pattern. And once mm -hmm. she starts seeing there's a knot tied around the necks in each one of these cases. And so she comes forward and Carrie Coon, who's just one of my favorite actresses is this like more hardened 
a female reporter who seems to be the only one who gets real stories and she gets kind of put almost as her guard dog initially and then eventually they kind of strike up this like she kind of shows her the ropes of how these things are really done yeah um i would call it like diet uh diet zodiac you know it's not yes so it's got the structural stuff it's not doesn't hit quite as hard it's not as like completely fascinating and absorbing is that but it's well made no one's dog is talking to them right nothing so, crazy yeah, yeah. but it, yeah it, but i mean some of the kill scenes are awful i mean they're brutal and because you are seeing the kill scene simultaneously like you will see the kill scene and then you'll go with kira knightley as she gets the call that there's been another one and so um and it goes back and forth and where it got really interesting for me is that the newspaper really wanted to exploit the fact that there were two female reporters on this. And so they started putting the two female reporters pictures in the paper just as much as the actual crime scenes and police and things like that. And it's, it was very much like an interesting marketing approach for the paper, but at the same time, it made um, the two female reporters also targets for the strangler. And at one point, like they start getting stalked. So it was a really um, interesting thing that they would kind of view it as almost a gimmick that these women were writing about this at the time period. Yeah. They're sensationalizing yeah. it uh, with using, using the pictures of them uh, as well. And, and also uh, the, the MO of the, the, the parts that's really interesting. This is a spoiler so much as just in the case like you were saying there are all these elderly women being killed and then suddenly these much younger women are being killed and and so that when the mo starts to shift that's the part of the story i didn't know and it, and it leads mm-hmm. you down a different rabbit hole it might be and, you know the direct yeah multiple viewpoint. killers yeah, it's yeah. just interesting where and there's also different cities this brings up that you know there was like 13 murders that took place within boston but they ate the age range like it was at first it was all elderly women and then it shifted and they all became really young 20s but then they realized that there is a killer who was doing this exact same thing and Ann Arbor, Michigan, who had the exact same pattern and was tying bows in the exact same way. And they're able to connect all of these different people to both Ann Arbor and Boston at the times of the killings. But at the same time, like it just the police never really investigated it that much. They kind of just said, oh, it's this guy and then walked away from it. Yeah, they open up basically other theories about these killers, like who it could be. Uh, and it and it confuses and blurs the Albert DeSalvo storyline that has been recorded A in lot. every serial killer book I've ever read. It was just DeSalvo. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Deschamalian plays DeSalvo and it's in, and it's really interesting performance. It's nothing yeah. like Tony Curtis. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> oh, my actors. gosh. Nothing. <laughs> No, this was, and he did a really mm-hmm. good job in this. Like, I really enjoyed his performance. Yeah. So, yeah. But I liked this it. one. Um, this was a straight to Hulu release, and it was huge. Like, this was a big one for Hulu, and I had a lot of, I can't say fun. It was very enjoyable. It was two hours, and I barely make it through most two hour movies, but this one I was like all the way in. Yeah, good so, procedurals, yeah. slick procedurals mm-hmm. tend to always time for. I will say, my only complaint with the movie. Watching the movie, it felt like all of this, the entire, all of the events in the movie, it felt like they happened in a series of months, um, just because of the way that it was structured out and the characters and how, you know, it all seemed that it was like, boom, 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 boom. Once I started researching it, basically the movie covers what is over a decade's worth of stuff. Mm. And you never feel those time jumps. So once I started researching it, I was like, wait, we should be because it starts in 1965 is where the movie starts. And then it never gives you another kind of clarification of where it is. 
And so by the time it gets to the 70s, when they're w- making the movie, I'm like, wait, we're in the 70s now? Pro- probably um, only the home life is the only way to chart some of that, probably. Yeah. The, the erosion yeah. of the home life. But uh, but it was I, I, just an interesting movie. They released it. Hulu put it out on uh, St. Patrick's Day, which I thought was kind of amusing, uh, given that it's a Boston movie. But um, wow. yeah, but anyway, I thought, it, you know, for a, for a straight to Hulu original is actually pretty solid. Yeah. Um, so continuing on, I'm going to do, um, my screen factory, uh, new release because this one, um, is just come out and this is the fancy schmance Blu-ray 4k restoration of dead silence from 2008. Um, is this 2008? Hold on. I'm trying to do the date off. I'll have to look up the year, um, of dead silence momentarily, but yeah, I shouldn't do that one from memory, but this one, I really wanted to rewatch because, I watched Dead Silence when it first came out, and that was right when I was working at Fangoria, and I remember the immediate backlash. I remember it hitting, everybody going like, this isn't Saw, and then suddenly there was this immediate backlash to it. And so that's kind of where my brain has stayed, is that I remembered that it had some type of cool puppets in it, that there was a tongue made of tongues, and then there was this massive backlash. And so this was a really fun rewatch for me because it also it stars ryan quanton who again i i had memories of he's my leading glorious and i had memories of him being in this but my kind of base for for casting ryan quanton was very much like the true bloods and his work on um a number of other recent tv shows and so to go back and see him you know helming this he is the male lead who's you know kind of running the show through the whole thing This had so much cool lore. It's, you know, Juan doing what he does best, where he's setting up this kind of entire mythos around this character and it's creepy puppets and it just feels so much like him. Um, And I I get why this got, you know, really polarizing reviews when it came out, because this would have been right when we were seeing the Texas Chainsaw reboots. And, you know, we were into like Saw 4 by this time and, you know, hostels and captivities. And if it wasn't torture, then it was a reboot of Hills Have Eyes, which is way more brutal than the first one. And suddenly this weird little puppet movie with the woman who steals your tongue comes out and it just we weren't doing supernatural at that time. Like it just wasn't as much as a thing. And so that seems to be what most of the reviews at the time were. Um, But seeing this and seeing the level of kind of bonkersness, this felt like it was referencing nineties ghost films, Um, not even nineties ghost films. This felt like a love letter to Dr. Giggles to me. Mm. Like it had that letter level of like over the top nineties style bonkersness, but in 2008, and I think that it did not sit as well. But then seeing this, it totally makes sense where something like Malignant comes from, um, which is also like a love letter to like a 1990s bonkers, like Dr. Giggles-ish movie. Mm-hmm. But this one just got um, the re-release from Scream Factory. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And I was watching this on my shitty TV back in my bedroom, and I was still just like, God, this looks great um so yeah i do recommend revisiting this if this is one of those that you watched in 2007 somewhere in there where it came out um you know it's definitely worth revisiting and now that we have seen james wan's 
expansive universes and kind of how bonkers his brain can be when kind of left to roam with something like malignant i feel like this makes a lot more sense yeah i wish he was uh, contracted to only make originals and we'd have yes we would be in a much better place in the industry because i love all his original stuff um some of the yeah franchise stuff i get a bit old after a while but um mm-hmm. yeah i gotta go back and watch that. i think i watched it one more time since but it would have been on like dvd so i have never seen it looking uh perfect so this was uh, 2007 2007 was when this came out so this would have been three years after saw which yeah is just enough time for people to get angry and go that's not saw Hmm. so yeah um i saw one i think you will like uh that you wanted to see called missing oh my god i've been wanting to see this it's only available for buying right now and i'm like i don't want to buy it yet maybe yeah we'll see uh you know it should probably be renting very soon but this one um is a I never saw searching so searching's kind of reference yes referenced mm-hmm. at the start of this I didn't want to see this movie uh because of all the screens and I was just like I see enough screens I'm looking at a screen right now uh I'm I'm over screened but um I will say that didn't bother me at all really once it got going and the performance is really good it's about a mother going missing on a trip with her new boyfriend uh the young girl stays at home and then starts realizing mom you know parties and enjoys herself and then realizes oh mom never came home and then she's trying to solve it all at her desktop basically and mm-hmm. uh, i think you'll get a kick out of that they i will say uh i was in it the whole time i never was not like entertained but i was a little the storyline felt very lifetimey to me and like just the kind of content of the actual story that they were going through never really rose above that for me it, so the delivery of it was what makes it interesting mm-hmm. um but overall this film's getting really good well-reviewed by most people and most people seem to really like it. So I think I was watching it going, I like it, but I think you'll probably have a better time on this one. Uh, I really enjoyed searching. I really enjoyed um, unfriended, but I liked unfriended to dark web even more. If you have not seen unfriended to dark web, it does some really interesting. But they're supernatural. Like that's a little different than this stuff is not dark web. Dark web has nothing supernatural. It's dark, dark murder mystery. Hmm. Um, But with this one, I have to ask what compelled you to watch it? Cause I've tried to get you to watch movies like this before. So what was Uh, your kind of like, are you covering it on uh, pure cinema? No, Brian shares like uh, some of the movies he has on a, you know, like uh, whatever it's called, like Plex or whatever these things are called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had he had obviously bought it. And so watched it. He loved it. He really liked it. He yeah. raved about it. So I was just like, oh, okay. No, I think it was just for the show. It was just like, oh, I got to watch something new for the show. And I was like, all right, I'll watch this thinking because you had wanted to see it in theaters. And that, look, it, I actually was entertained and thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I just think I'm... Uh, there's, there's, you'll, you'll see when you see it, the story, what, like the actual what's going on and what's happened to the mom and all that. There's a part of me that's just like, oh, you know, I could have seen that in um 24 or something. <laughs> Not the political, you know, less political than 24, but it kind of reminds me of that through a different uh aesthetic. But that's cool. Like, I'm glad it's, I'm glad they're doing well. Like the performances were good and stuff. I, I think you I just tried yeah. to, I tried to convince Brian of this as well when we had dinner a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Go see Unfriended Dark Web. It okay. did not get, you know, the the major applause that Unfriended did. But I swear, if you are looking for something that is like, oh, fuck, that got dark, dark web. The uh, the twists in it are amazing. And so I recommend this for for our listeners as well. Um, it's one that I, I found to be fascinating. And whereas Unfriended, I found to be kind of PG-13 horror. Oh, it's a ghost. Like doing scary stuff around the house while they're on FaceTime or whatever. Dark web is fucked up. Okay. Um, and definitely it, it's one of those I was still thinking about the next day. Mm. So yeah. 
Yeah, Check I remember out. thinking the first Unfriended was surprisingly good too, but like, yeah, for- it is. I like these yeah, movies. Fun. I really do. And I don't know why, because Unfriended was getting made while I was working at Blumhouse. That was while I was work- running the website there. And it was made. And then Blumhouse, if I remember correctly, Blumhouse bought it. Like it was something that was like in the works and Blumhouse picked it up. And I remember thinking like, oh God, it's Facebook the movie. Mm. And I think I even called it Facebook the movie on Killer POV. Like I was making fun of it leading up to its release because I found it to be so, the idea that a movie could be entirely set on computer screen, I found it to be almost like insulting. Like it's it's disrespectful. Um, and now I'm like, I find them so captivating that you can do that and keep me completely consumed for two hours. I find to be quite interesting. Yeah, I thought Host was really successful. That mm-hmm. Host was really good. Yep. Um, I have one, one rewatch as well, but that's about, do you have any other new ones? I do new ones. Um, you know, I'm, these aren't new. I'm just going to casually mention them though. Um, on, um, Screenbox, I watched Yellow Dragon's Village and then I also watched Gib Town, mm. um, both of which I found really fascinating. Yellow Dragon Village, it's, it's kind of uh, kids go camping and start dying setup. But that said, it was only like 40 minutes long or maybe 60. Mm. It flew. It was international um, and it just it flew by and it was a really fascinating watch. Um, Gibtown was a documentary about and it's not horror, but I was fascinated by it. The town in Florida that most circus and carnival performers um, retire to. So it's known as kind of like the Carney town. Um, and it was very much focused on some of the older performers, why they retire there, what they're doing now, you know, whether or not they still go back out on the road, how they've raised families and things like that. So it was just a fascinating kind of, you know, slice of life piece that I found on Screenbox that I was just like, wow, I'd always heard of that town, but it was one of those things where I never even realized that it was real. You just always feel like, yeah, there's this weird little town in Florida where all these carnies retire to, and you can like walk down the street and see a bearded lady. And yep, it's real. It is real. Mm. And so this was a cool little slice of life. Um, I have two more and a book I will quickly mention, but I'll let you go next. Uh, yeah, just real quick one. Um, I saw, I'm looking also up. Do you remember that when you said the thing about that town? Do you remember that um, it was Clive Barker was a producer on it as a documentary about early 90s about a town where a bunch of uh, people in like a retirement village in Florida were making a horror film and it was a documentary that Clive Barker's name was on um, as no. as a producer and it was like it has the word like mule in it and I'm I will find it by the end of the show when we switch because I'm looking up Litterbox not seeing it and it's it just remind the documentary you just said it really reminds me of a vibe that that film had it's not perfect it's really strange it was like they were they no they weren't homeless it was like these people who lived in like these kind of like um you know what are the they're not they're not rvs quite but almost like an rv park it might have actually been an rv park retirement like a trailer yeah park it might have been a trailer park i think it was in florida i will find out by the end of this what the title is for people once once you do your pick i'll look it up because it was super interesting and it used to be i remember when it got released it was a big deal it said like produced by clive barker and it was like oh what is this film i feel like we should rewatch that for deep yeah no, I've I, never I, seen that. and i haven't seen it in 20 years uh, so i'll i would happily but it was a documentary about like you know kind of i love american movies so much it was kind of that kind of these people who sh- 
you know, don't seem like they'd be trying to make a movie. That's what they're trying to do. So making horror movies in an RV park kind of sounds yeah. like my James. No, I so think now I'll find it for you in one second. Uh, I, my friend James, who went to scream with us, he was visiting from New Zealand. He was here for a couple of days and it turned out he, he loves serial. You know, when I, we met at college and we would always watch every serial killer movie together. Cause that was like his favorite kind of thriller wise. Um, Wait, weren't you guys, weren't you doing criminal psychology? I was doing criminology. Yeah. But um, he wasn't, but he was an actor. Um, so he's basically the, you know, of course, psychopathic uh, actors, you know, uh, no, he, uh, he and doesn't get shutter and New Zealand didn't have wounded fawn. And I was like, Oh, I think mm-hmm. you'd really like this movie just because it's a different kind of approach on that topic. And, and I still feel like this movie has not gotten enough. I think cause it came out right at the end of the year and, and it made up my lists and uh, the lists, you know, for end of the year lists, but I don't think that as many people even saw it just because of that kind of turn into the end of the year. And uh, it held up so well on a rewatch. I got to say, it's still one of my yeah. favorites of last year. It goes into such fun, surprising territory inside the mind of somebody like that and and mixing it with, you know, kind of Greco-Roman mythology. It's just it played really well and he really seemed to dig it. So I just thought I'll, I'll remind people, but I'll also use it as a way to remind people that we will this episode will be on Friday night. We will be on a screen drafts episode Saturday night live in uh, Seattle uh, and doing a draft on the woods, woods. which wounded fallen wood, woods wood are, wounded yeah. fallen. It might be too new to make uh, such a, you know, short list, but new films always struggle to make those uh, from usually as history would say, but mm-hmm. it's certainly uh, applicable because it's set deep in the woods. So the only other things I watched were two older movies that I hadn't seen for that draft, but I'm not going to talk about them here. I will save that for our Patreon for the deep cuts. Well, then I will quickly mention my um, one film. I will save one of my films for deep cuts. Um, But I will say this is a quick one because I don't know what else to say about it. I watched Fear City because this is the one Abel Ferreira movie. I love that one. I had never seen. I love that one. I've never seen China. But I I love Fear City. I've seen China Girl. I have never seen Fear City. So I was like Tom Berenger and Melanie Griffith. Let's see. This is like Abel Ferreira goes big budget Hollywood, but it is still so goddamn sleazy. Yeah, so There's sleazy. no way not to, for it not to be Abel Ferreira. It also feels like Abel Ferreira's Giallo um, yeah. because the setup is that um, Tom Berenger is investigating a series of stripper deaths. And then there's these other guys who or is Tom Bear. I can't even remember what he played. I watched this two weeks ago. Um, but there's basically a an agent, these agents whose job it is to um, they are like booking agents for stripper. That may have actually been the role that Tom Berenger played. Yeah, I think they were. Um, yeah. And yeah, they're, they're like the booking agents for the strippers. And he had some type of torted relationship with Melanie Griffiths long ago. And she's like his top stripper. Um, sending her out to birthday parties and all the various strip clubs. And you're going to go do this private event in Brooklyn and all this stuff set in New York City in the very 1980s. This is 1984. And so it's super sleazy underbelly. It's classy strippers because they're doing like private events and birthday parties and such like that. But he's still very much working with like underbelly and pimps and sleazy club owners and pornographers and everything. And someone is killing off the strippers. And um, and that's kind of the setup. It's got Billy D. Williams in it too. Melanie Griffiths gets topless multiple times because she's a stripper. And um, you watch her do a lot of different strip teases. This is highly sleazy, but this is like big fucking budget sleazy for the 1980s. It's the weirdest thing for me because I have seen Abel Ferreira do this level of sleaze 
Bad Lieutenant and Ms. 45 and all of his other films on such small budgets. And this feels like Hollywood just threw a lot of money at him. And he was very much like, well, I'm still going to make a movie about cracker, coke and strippers. And he did um, just now with Melanie Griffith and other big Hollywood stars. So, um, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I think this is a buck 99 rental on Amazon. And it definitely was um, a big budget exploitation film. Yeah, no, I remember really enjoying it in a, a very it's like 10 to midnight like yeah. way those two would play pretty well together they're both sleazy and, and Behringer being really extreme in it uh, I haven't seen it yeah. in a minute but I remember I think that's a good recommendation for people yeah. good shower movie. Wild movie yeah good shower movie definitely um the last thing that I want to mention just because I really enjoyed it this book came out a couple of months ago but it took me a stretch to get circled to it Toil and Trouble a Women's History of the Occult this is by Lisa Kroger and Melanie Anderson who wrote um the gothic women um women of gothic fiction book that came out last year um that I was or it may have been two years ago it was during the pandemic that I was obsessed with where they did this walkthrough showing that women had been kind of the queens of science fiction and horror speculative fiction for a really long time, like going all the way back to Victorian time. Like we always look at Poe as like the granddaddy of all of it, but women had been doing it. And it's not just Mary Shelley. There was lots of women doing it. And so they had that book out a couple of years ago. This one really looks at women as the, at the forefront of the occult. And it's very much about you know, going all the way back to like original pagan times, but then tracing it through like modern day, which is in Hollywood and the birth of Wicca and things like that. They're real accessible little bite sized like three page chapters, which was great because I'd have 10 minutes to sit down and read something while I'm waiting for my kids to finish gymnastics. And I'd sit there and I'd read, you know, a super deep five page chapter on Marie Laveau. And then I could go on. And so this one, I just really enjoyed this. So super deep dive um, into women's history of the occult, but written really accessibly. So that is Toil and Trouble, A Women's History of the Occult. All right. Well, thank God you remembered it. Because if you hadn't, I was struggling to find this Clive Barker documentary thing that I told you about. He might have been like minorly involved, by the way. I think they used his name to sell this documentary. I don't know if he he might not even know this exists. Um, but I did find it. It was not showing up on Letterboxd or anything where I was looking. Anyway, finally got the title. The title is Mule Skinner Blues. It is a That's the name of a very famous song. Yeah, song Dolly Parton, I think, right? Uh Yeah. Uh no, it's like a yodel. well she might have a version oh, okay. of it. 2001 um, documentary, so that tracks to when I would have seen it. Uh and it says this documentary offers a glimpse inside the lives of several individuals, mainly former shrimp workers, all residing in a Florida trailer park, all with very strange talents and habits. The community's leader is Beanie, an eccentric man who boasts about his decades-long career as a writer, actor, singer, and dancer. Other community members who unite to create a homespun horror film include a yodeling country singer and a hot-tampered guitarist. I have no memory of any of that. I only remember that they're trying wow. that these people are in a trailer park making a movie and that Clive Barker's had some like, you know, name attached to it. So there's a real deep cut from the past to remind people about. I'm glad I Well, found it. you can pick up. We're going to have to dig for this one. It apparently played Sundance when it came out, but the DVD will now cost you 75 bucks on Amazon. So we're going to have to do some I'll digging find to it, find yeah. a copy. Yeah, but I'm looking yeah. at the cover and it says Clive Barker presents Mule Skinner Blues. So his name was definitely, but that's the reason I watched it. I was a huge Barker kid. I was a bigger Barker guy than I was King in some ways, I think, um, in terms of my interest when I was, you know, about. 13 14 yeah um so yeah very cool okay i'm glad i could remember that before we uh before it left my brain forever 
So we'll save okay. that. So yeah, so look for well, our Woods show. We will be doing yes. that in the future. Uh, if you're in Seattle, come say hi for sure. And come to our live show in Seattle, which will be on Friday night, the night that this is taping. We have a live show. Actually, I think it's Maker Saturday. Festival. Is it? I think it's before the other show. I think it's earlier in the day. Like, I think we're doing two kind okay. of back to back. Friday, I think we're playing the board game. You can also come see us. Oh, that's it. Playing, playing Cinephile. So, yeah. a little plug for Cinephile board game. That's going to be fun. First time for both of us playing. And that. then Saturday night, I'm screening Glorious. So, that's a so, lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah a lot of <laughs> um, stuff. And then Saturday morning, we're going on a field trip to a biscuit company and to the fish that's market. That's less horrific. That's far less horror related content. I'm excited. <laughs> I know I've never been to um, Seattle. No, I think the second, oh, you'll see the original Starbucks, the very first store. Uh, it's on that on that same journey. It's really fun. Uh, but what you're saying about our episode, we will, for those who are going to be there, we're going to, we decided on something. We won't necessarily reveal what it is yet, but we decided on something very visual. So this yep. is definitely going to be like, maybe it could exist as an audio form, but it's really going to be more about being there. You got to be yeah. there for it. Uh, yeah. Because that just seems to be a fun way to mix this up. So uh, definitely book those flights to Seattle. You have one, <laughs> four hours. <laughs> Four hours, go. And uh, we will be back in just a second, and we will be talking some A24. All right. On the list of terrible ideas, this is going to be one of them. Uh, We're going to take A24 model, which is a company that just uh, really showed what you can do in only nine Nine and a half, ten years in the business. Obviously, everyone running the company have been in the business longer, but a very new, uh, newish company to have just won probably one of the biggest wins in Oscar history, just completely yeah. dominated the Oscars. If you watch the Oscars this year, it basically looked like the only company was A24, and they made like five films last but, year. But they only really needed it. to make one, and it won all the yeah. awards. So everything everywhere, uh, they've been making a lot of different types of movies. So I think the there's always it's become almost a bit of a joke that there's an A24 model or a type of movie, which is obviously wholly unfair given how diverse their movies actually are. But mm-hmm. it doesn't stop it from being a short a go to. Uh, so we kind of were joking around going, oh, we should, uh, you know, do a ranking or go through all of the A24. I did make a list at the end. We can just run through all the kind of genre ones, the ones that don't make the list just uh, to, you know, just quickly. But um we decided we would because we're doing free labor for our friends on screen drafts uh and have multiple times we would just steal their show format uh <laughs> briefly of shit and we're actually really not because we're not doing the seven films we're gonna we're gonna draft back and forth 10 films 10 films we have the 10 best a24 films a24 and this horror is... films not just films a24 so horror out. yeah and that's some will a big be one. borderline fringy genre but not any of the drama you know and nothing that wasn't touching in that um world uh yeah. and we don't know what the other person is going to say so i might really want a film to be number three on my list and elric might decide that that should be 10 and then i have to decide whether or not i want to keep it at 10 and just be happy it's on the list or do i want to veto him and play it higher um, and this is and why so I that's... said the list of terrible ideas was not because it's a terrible idea to rank these films, but we are doing it without commissioners. And there's a reason yes. their show probably works because they use commissioners to make sure things don't, uh, you know, get get into tomfoolery. And this could get a little crazy. Now, before we jump into it, though, uh, I did want to just quickly mention, because these two will definitely not be on the list. <laughs> um, uh, spoiler, I had never I used this as my opportunity. People have been telling me for years that I have to see Tusk. And I resisted all this time uh, because it just sounded so silly to me. 
But I do want a, a little bit of reclamation here. I truly believe if it had cut to black at 52 minutes, I it would have it might have made this list for me. I I really enjoyed the first 50 minutes. It's just purely uh, just watching a podcaster travel to Canada, be captured and slowly turned into this walrus like creature. If it just slammed a black and was a 50 minute movie, I'd be in. But the second after that, it becomes this farcical comedy that Johnny Depp shows up in and I would yeah. say it's quite poor after that and it plummeted in my estimate but that said I did enjoy it up to that part and then another one that I just feel like almost no one talked about or saw was called Slice and it was like a, I just it looks like a pizza delivery slasher film from the artwork which is really cool yep. but then you watch it and it is this it's trying to build this whole kind of universe of like almost a true blood type thing where people are witches wow. people are werewolves people are, and it is the tone of it it's a it's a complete and it's been a while since I've seen a complete strikeout like where a movie's going for something really different and you're like oh it just missed on all of it and just it just does not work at all I mean, really thought it was one of the worst I've seen in a while now not to slam on it because it's like kind of curio and 10 years from now somebody might watch it and go hey this is cool let's turn it into a TV series or something but it didn't work in the framework that they tried now what I wanted to say about both of them up top is that they also neither of them feel at all like what we're saying when we say mm-hmm. A24 aesthetic. A24 they, model. They're not yeah. that. They feel like a totally different company. So that's interesting too, in, in a sense, because part of this list is figuring out ourselves what that means. And and we have yes. you know, probably slightly different, not on the good films, obviously, but like the way we think of that company name might be slightly different in some ways. Yes. Um, and I definitely rewatched um and watched a couple of brand new ones for this list, which I'm gonna hold because I if they're gonna possibly get on, you shouldn't. One of them might be on your list. Okay. I didn't like it at all. Like I seriously despised it, oh, but I have a feeling you may have enjoyed it more than I oh, did. That'll be interesting. Um, if not, we'll so, talk about yeah. it at the end when we kind of run through. I've got them in yeah. chronological, not not for our our game, but afterwards I'll just run through them in chrono because it is interesting just to see which ones were coming out. It seems like 2015 had a lot of good stuff, and then uh, so this company's mostly starting in about 2014 yeah. is when we're seeing the first genre works but somehow like 2016 i think they had five horror films yeah. like it was impressive and there were some good ones in there in 2016 where they had like black Coat's daughter green room monster the witch like all back to back um there was one in there as well called mojave that i haven't seen it yeah, that was that was why i kind of made the list there's ones where i was like i've never not not only just not seen mojave never Heard of it until I put it on a list. And then I looked at it, it had major stars in it. Serial killer, mm-hmm. thriller in the desert. I was like, I've never even heard it mentioned. So, nope. so I'm kind of curious to track that. The, the reviews aren't great on Letterboxd, but I was curious to track it down. Yeah, I didn't watch it because it's yeah. not very well reviewed. But I'm so curious. I it would not make our top 10. But yes, well, I was curious I, as well. I think one of the unfair things leveled at A24 in the last few years is the idea that they are what birthed elevated horror but because it is the aesthetic of the films that generated that conversation but they did not label it that this is coming from critics and and really i think what's funny about that term is in a lot of ways they're making more grounded horror but Mm -hmm. people call it elevated because it's but we've always had classy horror we've always had like art house horror we've always had sophisticated or thinking man's horror. we've had every for 40 years people have used terms like that so I've mentioned this on the show before, but I mentioned it a lot if you take my horror class at USC that for me, the term elevated horror is it's a total cop out. Like the only thing that A24 did that I viewed any differently than what like Blumhouse was doing at the time, because Blumhouse was owning horror in 2014 when A24 started kicking off. But A24 tells adult stories. Yeah. That's like the big definition breaker for me is like if you look at their biggest movies, 
like Midsummer. Oh, don't of, don't use any titles if they come. I out, won't. Ooh, I'm ooh. just saying, right. like some of the some of the I'll say their greatest hits, like yeah. Hereditary. These are adult problems. Killing of the Sacred Deer. These are adult problems. The Lighthouse. Adult. Well, they're problems. also aimed even more than yeah. adult problems. They're aimed at adult audiences. Adult like horror had and, not been doing for a while. It had been skewing a lot younger. Yeah, I mean, like, if we look at what Blumhouse was doing around this same time period, it was very much, you know, kind of more of our happy death days. They were skewing a lot younger, and they were aiming their, um, even if it isn't, like, insidious and sinister, are aimed at younger teen to 20-something audiences far more than they are at 40-year-olds. And so, yeah, that's what I saw as the difference, is it's adult horror. And there's a big difference, and I, you know, the cool thing about horror, there's no way people like us would have been doing this for a decade of just talking about horror if if there weren't all like the title of our show right if there weren't all these different colors all these mm-hmm. different types and what when you say this you think of the Bloomhouse films you just cited conjuring or insidious things like that they are thrill rides they are they are yeah. roller coasters that is not the case actually for the a24 film it's not about getting on the ride they're not really ride movies a couple of them might be but most of them are, are going for a different kind of experience and that yeah. is you know you're either into it and some people are into all of them or most of them and some people are into the best ones uh i definitely for me it's it's definitely helped you know kind of get to the kind of horror that i tend to love but not all of it and there are ones where i i would be as guilty as anyone is going oh it's an a24 movie where nothing happens like that that has happened there have been movies that have made that sin uh uh, but their best ones uh, don't have that problem. Well, because you are the um, pivotal A24 fan here, I'm going to let you kick us off with the 10 spot and then we'll just go back and forth. No, because if see... I if I take the 10 spot, what happens at the end? I don't know. You get the number, you don't get no, one. You get the number one spot if I do. So I think we have to we have to have trivia round. Oh my god, but we can't ask ourselves the trivia dingus, so therefore... Uh, no, well, the 10 is the hardest spot because... Uh, I'm open to it. Uh, 10 is the hardest spot because whatever we put there, I feel like that's where the kind of random ones are going to be floating around. So I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to take... At number 10, I am going to throw down... I think I am going to go with Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh, I had that so much fucking higher. Oh, my God. I mean, I, God. Love, I love Killing I just didn't know if you would like it at all. So I didn't know if that one would make the list. Oh, I love that um, one. That's honestly one of my favorite one of their movies. I will allow it at 10 just because I want to sure see it on. it on the list. It's also uh, um, like I, I think some of them are more horror, hard horror. And some this is more. There's a couple on here that are kind of Bunuelian nightmare type movies. This is somewhere between a Haneke film, Bunuel, and a horror film. Uh, brilliant movie. Uh, my yeah. favorite Yargus film uh, by a mile still. Colin Farrell's never been better. Barry Keoghan. Yeah. Both of them were just in the Banshees of Insurance. Barry Keoghan, no one had ever seen this guy. And suddenly he's eating spaghetti in the most menacing way. But this just ba- breaks down the family dynamics in a way that's quite surreal, quite disturbing, and leaves you probably with one of the most frightening choices at the end of this movie uh, as, as a kind of conundrum. Now, d- did this reach horror fans probably not really like it was probably reaching a wider net i think we covered it on the show at the time i definitely saw it at the time and loved it so um by the way we have one veto each which is to yes to veto which can either be to raise it higher or to knock it off the list altogether so uh i just think at the bottom it's going to be the hard part because we're going to be placing things uh you know that uh maybe some of the classics miss out if that if we're not careful 
No, this one, um, and you you said the word that made me love this, Boonwellian. Like, this is a completely absurdist film. It's an absurdist setup. But the questions that it poses within that absurdity is, I, I loved this one. I love that it was, it's the type of film that I like where it can take this kind of absurdist notion and then really make you think with it. Um, and yeah, this one haunted me for days. And it's one of the darkest movies of all of these, which is surprising because mm-hmm. it's quite funny. But it's also a comedy. Yeah, no, yeah. it's quite funny, but it is in terms of just like the way it portrays things, it's very dark. So if you haven't seen it, part of doing this list is to remind somebody like, hey, you might not have seen this one yet. So in number 10, so somebody has to keep list of this. Otherwise, it's going to be a hot one. I, I just wrote them okay, all Okay, good. I'll let you te- keep yeah. the list. Okay. Um. So my number 10. No, oh, you're number nine. Re- Sorry, my number nine. <laughs> this rearranges things. Hold on. I've got I've to think this through here. I am going to go with, I'm going to go the witch. Oh, really? That low? <laughs> I can't I can't I know you're gonna play it higher I know you're gonna play it well I think that Um, one for me it's more not just how I play I think it is like the definitive it's one of two I think definitive a20 the the movies like of that period to me I would say but okay you know what I'm gonna do here I'm gonna put Saint Maud oh I'm I'm surprised it's making the list at all I I I had to rewatch it if I was gonna put it on the list St. Maud is one that I have to say I did not particularly love upon my first viewing, but I did start to love it after Mm. my first viewing. And I ended up going back several months later and watching it again with a group that second time. It's not a group film. I'll say that. Like it was very much like everybody was falling asleep and things like that. But what I really appreciated about this film is it is very much a character study and it takes its time and it it's slow rolls showing you what she is seeing. It is about a girl who is working as a um, kind of, uh, what would you call it? Convalescent nurse caretaker, yeah. um, caretaker for this aging actress. And it takes its time revealing all of its cards where you know that she has been through something. There is something that happened while she was in nursing school that you don't really get the the details of what you know now is that she views herself to be this incredibly devout Christian um, who is out to save people. And she is working for this actress who she is genuinely like trying to take the best care of and be a really good friend to. Um, But then at night you see her really struggling with like her own humanity and the fact that half of society, not even half, that most of society is evil in her eyes. And gradually throughout the movie, she becomes more and more unhinged. And then she runs into some of her old friends from nursing school and whatever happened there that gave her those wounds that led her to become so devoutly Christian. It just opens this well of, of bonkersness that just kind of pours out. And for me, the first hour and 20 minutes of this movie are give or take. It's an interesting character study. I'm not too sure if it's horror I was in, but I don't know how far I was in the last 15 minutes I thought were remarkable. Mm -hmm. And so this is one that it took me a while to come around to this one, but I did really like some of the stuff that it did. It was very polarizing. I saw some people being like best movie of the year and others being like, I don't even know what happened. Very standard A24 response. Well, no, but, but that one got particularly screwed because that one was getting the best reviews out of film festivals than COVID hit. And so it didn't even get theatrical here. And yep. I remember watching on this exact computer that I am l- talking to you now on and being a little under, like thinking the style was great, but not 
not connecting to it as I watched. And I really think I would have liked to have seen this one on a big screen. Like I think yep. the quieter the movie, the smaller the movie sometimes, when you put it on a big screen, it you feel like if we had we seen that at a film festival uh i'm i won't lie i am tempted only because i have so many good titles it's the one that i'm tempted to veto only not only because i need to rewatch. but i'm not i got i got another well, one i'm ready not to go. going to because there's something i want to make sure gets played high right now so just in case because any bonkers inclusions uh and plus i do think it's it probably is deserving i just need to rewatch it myself so maybe you've just forced me to rewatch uh saint maud um, okay, so that takes it to you. All right. Oh, God, do I go? Uh, this is going to seem low if I play it there, I think. Now I'm going to go for one more wild one. Uh, let's see if this one sticks. I want to play in fabric. Uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing uh, a face that might... Oh, this could get me a veto. Oh, this could get my veto. Oh, I, love, I really oh. like... You don't like in fabric? It wasn't my fave. Like it was one of those. I I watched it with intentions of talking about it on the show, and then um, my general rule is if I can't find anything pleasant to say about it, at least one thing. I don't have to like everything that I watch for the show, but I need to be able to find something I'm excited to talk about. I didn't talk about this one on the show. Wait, there's a sequence with the cre- creepy ass mannequins, and they're. I know. I know. I wanted to like this one so much because it is it has this theatrical quality to yeah. it. It has this amazing surrealist absurdist theatrical quality, but it just did not hit with me. And it wasn't one that I found myself still thinking about days later. I just kind of watched it when I don't know if that worked. And then I walked away from it, and never thought about it. We're again. playing our St. Maud's um, at the bottom here. So you did St. Maud, I'm doing a fabric. Well, I think the thing about it is I really like Peter Strickland uh, as a, you know, up and coming voice. He's now made like four films, I believe, or five films. All of them are interesting. Uh, this one I, I this one is like almost like an internal anthology right it's like the, there's a haunted dress basically and it's going from storyline to storyline to storyline you're seeing this very surreal and dark uh story uh, department store and it's kind of sexual and it's weird there's like mannequin mannequin horror in this thing uh i thought the first storyline with uh marianne jean baptiste were about this uh you know aging black woman who gets the stress and feels like empowered but then how it kind of starts to haunt her life i thought that stuff was really good uh i don't know i i got into this i saw this in a theater it might have helped uh and i like that it's a little more of a risk movie it's not just sticking into the the playbook i guess in a way of the a24 model but hey you know you have a veto yeah i'm tempted to use my veto here just because i don't think this one should be on the list but that said i'm worried if i veto you're going to do something that i like even less and that i won't have my veto or that it's going to get up to the top and then you're going to be like let's put slice on there and i'm going to be like oh now i don't have a veto slice probably won't be making it but it could but a veto could you know what there is a couple that I am really gunning for to be on this list. And if I don't get them somewhere in here, then we're knocking off kind of quintessential titles as well. So I am going to veto in fact. Okay. All right. At least it got some love. That's, that's part of the game. If it gets knocked off, at least somebody will hear this and go check that movie out. All right. Yeah. Cause I've got like five that I think need to be in that kind of top five, six area. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to play a more recent, we didn't talk about this before, but it'll have to come up. I'm going to play this low because they're new. Uh, okay. And that's why I'm going to place them this low. Do I feel they belong this way? No, that these ultimately will be in the top uh, few. But I am going to place the Ty West new film X. But I wonder if we should. Oh God, Pearl. I would have vetoed the shit out of this one. Oh, well, oh. I wonder if we should link Pearl and X together, though. 
you know, because we don't really want to place them. I don't know. Is that cheating? Yeah, but we're le- it's our show. We're, we don't have. OK, fuck it. Yeah. Let's put, so them, let's together. put them together because they're new. Films. I will say I will say. I would have vetoed the shit out of X because I was just okay with oh, it. It was this. like granny exploitation. Oh, I get it. It's a little bit that, but there's so Pearl, many good performances. Pearl was Pearl was brilliant. X was okay. Um, yeah, I feel the so- opposite. I like Pearl, but I don't love it. I I think Britney Snow is so freaking great in X. Jenner Tag is great. Everyone's there's the whole ensemble. I love the movie. That's not even the horror parts. I think it's hilarious, and I think it's one of the most entertaining movies they ever made. Not just the horror, and it's not as a twenty. It's not the slow burn. It's actually just a funny, entertaining movie until it gets thing. But let's if we put them both there, then we're kind of splitting the difference. And I think they will climb higher in the the long run as horror films of the A twenty four. But I think because they're brand new movies, any higher would feel you know uh, you need some distance from them. Um, and Maxine yeah. is the third part of this, and that might be the movie that makes you know sometimes the final movie solidifies it and it goes to the higher. Um, but I think this is a good place for it because they have to be on the list because they are really. So we'll just say X Pearl. X and Pearl, it's yeah, eight. it's a shared eight spot, and I think it's also showing uh, that they are still kicking ass because these were little indie yeah. films they made that did really well. Um, so it sh- and these are very recent, so I think this is a good way to balance the list. There will be no other cheating. Okay, well, I want this next one, not my number seven on the list. I will say I actually would have played this much higher, but I have a feeling much higher. It will definitely get vetoed, so I'm gunning for seven. And this is Enemy. No, that would have, when when you vetoed my uh, In Fabric, that's what I was going to play. Okay, cool. Okay. En- so, enemy, um, enemy has the best, uh, scariest last shot in cinema. So ever. <laughs> um, so this is one of this is, I believe, like A24's first film, right? I think this it was for yeah. them formally as a company. Um, this is Dennis um Villanueva. Um, and the basis uh based off of a Jose Saramago um novel, The Double, and I love Jose Saramago. I've, I've read like, like multiple of he's one of my favorite of the recent writers of the last like 30, 40 years. Blindness. He's yeah. got another one set in the roots of a tree or is about a giant tree and the people who live on the outskirts of the tree. And I can't remember, it, it may have just been called the tree. A lot um, of Kafka-esque really stuff in his yeah. and if you've never read Blindness, when I read Blindness. I literally thought it was one of the best books I've ever read. Then I saw the movie. I was like, yeah. oh, this is hard to adapt. Uh, well, it's hard to adapt yeah. because it's all, you know, you can get across the blindness in the book. With your blind. Yeah. yeah, you can't see. Um, no, I, I have read so many of his books. And what he does and what they do in Enemy that I love, it's that exact kind of absurdity thing that I was talking about in Killing of a Sacred Deer, where they take the most outlandish, just kind of bonkers, surreal, absurdist situation that would not exist in life as we know it, but then use it to pose these really heavy philosophical questions. And I love that. So this is um, Jake Gyllenhaal stars. And this is exactly kind of what I think of when we think of the A24 model, where it's a movie where not a lot happens, but a lot is happening. Jake Gyllenhaal is watching a movie one day and he literally sees himself. And he realizes that there is an actor out there who looks just like him. And he goes on the hunt to figure out who this actor is while simultaneously we're watching a giant spider walk through a city. It's kind of like a spider. It's like a weird alien spider. And this one, it's a it's a doppelganger movie. Um, it's a very amber colored doppelganger movie. But I just was fascinated by this. And this was 2013. 
we were not familiar with the A24. We're going to take our fucking time getting to where it gets scary moment um, set up. And I remember spending much of this movie going, is something going to happen? And it's all worth it for that final shot. Yeah, it, it, it's it's basically showing you two splintered lives, almost two parallel yeah. uh, lives, but in a really subtle way it has Isabel um, Rossellini as his mom in one of them. And I, it was one of those movies where you truly had no fucking clue what you're watching. Like at a certain point, yeah. you're like, wait, I do not know what kind of movie this is. Like, I did not know what box to put it in, but it's unsettling from start to finish, has that dread growing. And that's when it ended, I rewound it maybe eight or nine times. I watched the last mm-hmm. like two minutes just going, whoa. And then you're like straight on the internet trying to you know uh figure it out uh okay so we have uh i'm really glad it's on the list like it it probably i probably would have played it more like around you know eight or nine just to make sure it's on it but not so high but i'm glad it's there because uh super interesting okay so that's our bottom four right yes so we now only have six spots left which is scary because we have way more than like six like canon titles to hit we do uh this one is Actually, my, my, well, it's my probably my second or third favorite of all the movies A24 ever made. It's the least horror on this list, but it is another genre, and it definitely touches on that. But I think it's one of the best fucking movies ever, and that's Green Room by Jeremy Saunier. I had it at six as well, yeah, so like, well done. Like it's what, I would put it in my top three A24 movies personally, but on a horror mm-hmm. list... It's not a horror film, but it's got the dread. It's it's a punk rock band forced to survive the night in this uh, neo-Nazi skinhead uh, run by Picard <laughs> a bar. Uh, it is just so well made. It's the last film I felt violence on the screen that I yes. felt in my body. I felt every hit. I felt broken bones. I felt gunshots. And it makes me think Saulnier at some point after this will make a total masterpiece um, after this, it will happen because this is just such a well-made movie and it, there's no way I could let this not be on the list. It's just, yeah, it, it, it couldn't go too much higher on a, on a horror list. I don't think. Yeah. I had this on my number six as well. Um, just for the fact that I will say it feels questionably horror, but I feel like most horror fans own this just because of the level of violence. Like we're very apt to be like, come on over. You're in the horror genre. And because now. he started in oh. horror, his first film was a horror film. So I think he deserves yeah. some love. <laughs> yeah. We're really welcoming to just like come come play at the play yeah yeah it feels very much like a 1970s um siege film for me but it does have that level of exploitive violence that makes me say yeah we can totally classify this as horror yeah so i'm I'm glad you agree on that one that could have been that could have gotten ugly uh okay here's here's where i feel like it's gonna get ugly is we are now down to kind of the top five and this is where seven great movies that could be on this list yeah like six seven great movies that i'm already looking at so something beautiful is gonna get knocked off there there's a couple that i feel are well there's a couple that i feel are loved and some people love them and i like them a lot but maybe don't think they're quite as good as other films by same directors sometimes that causes a little ripple you know when there's multiple by the same director a24 has made a bit of a reputation by working with the same people and branding them as part of the aesthetic which is has worked yes. for them and, and has been their most successful films so we'll see i'm very curious where we go next uh, okay it's our bottom five number so i'm going to five yeah number five and i am gonna play oh the lighthouse interesting okay this is gonna be my decision that was the one that if out of the next five or six that's the one that i might just slightly drop off the top 10 oh see i was gonna drop a different one um okay shall you veto the lighthouse um i'm only concerned because 
my favorite of all the movies i'm really concerned with well i guess i'll just have to place it um I, let me look at this hold on one two three four five i can yeah I, I see five movies and then the lighthouse for me like look this isn't a distant lighthouse but uh, for me lighthouse might be like 11 or 12 like personally just i think it's beautifully made but i'm just not sure it excites me now some people out there this is their movie and i respect that because it's idiosyncratic as fuck and i think that's so cool uh, i'm gonna i guess i'm gonna veto it Oh, I'm going to get a lot damn. of shit, shit for that because I know a lot of people love it so much, but I'm vetoing it from the top five because I do think <laughs> there's five movies that I might eat shit on this and get even worse. Uh, but that's where I'm going to do it. Well, I will say that um, now I'm going to play the other one by that same director. I'm going to put The Witch here instead. Awfully low, but, but that's okay. I would. I, oh, I probably would have gone three but yes, that's okay. I definitely like The Lighthouse better than The Witch. What? I, I saw like, The Lighthouse I, with you. You walked out going, blah. <laughs> I know, but it has grown on me. And I think that that's my theme of A24 is that uh, it yeah. has to grow on me. Um, the Witch, I did like The Witch when I first saw it. I, I did. Like, that was one that I walked out of going, that was badass. Crow pecking at her boob. Um, but that is one that over time I have not thought about nearly as much as the lighthouse about the unhinged performances and how it was shot and um the visuals like you know the witch functions much the same way where we're just getting flashes of horror moments um but i love the obsession with the lighthouse the idea of it, the light is what's doing it um is somehow and i loved kind of the cyclical nature where you realize that he is that it's almost like a time loop. Like I found that to be fascinating as well. Um, so yeah, there was a lot in lighthouse that has really stuck with me longer than the witch did. But that said, the witch is still a tight movie. Um, it just feels I think like it's a classic of the genre. Now it, it feels like it didn't just make, it, it, it might not be a movie I rewatch a lot, but it feels like it's a movie that now when people talk about witch movies, it is the definitive witch movie. It is the movie that shows you how you get to that other side. It, it has a perfect final visual, like as perfect yeah. as you could create in a movie. And it's so authentic. And that's what Eggers yeah. does so well. I haven't actually rewatched any of his films, weirdly enough. And I like all, really? I like all of them. I haven't rewatched a single one, which is interesting because it tells you there's something in it. That's like a first viewing experience but then i haven't been drawn back which is i i've rewatched the witch um at least once because i showed it in my class a couple of years ago and i do have to say like the visuals in that like i will watch black philip anytime like it's just such strong visuals and you are right like there was a stretch where no one could figure out how to make a witch movie um how to make witches scary because they had lost their scares and how do you make a witch scary well you take it back to the time when witches were really fucking scary and then it becomes scary as fuck um, but for me, I really want, I, I have not rewatched The Lighthouse since the first time we saw it together at that screening where there was no goddamn popcorn. Remember that screening? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no- yeah, it was old popcorn or something. It was like, it was so like they offered us like day old popcorn. Yeah. And um, it was a weird yeah. screen too. It was like a it was, weird, it was small, a weird, small screen. No, look, Lighthouse is perfect. That was a weird vibe. But the reason that I want to rewatch it now is um, when I was prepping for this past week's trivia game, I read that it was based on this Edgar Allan Poe story that was never finished. It was one of Poe's last short stories and he never finished it. And it was about a shipwreck off the coast of Norway where everybody washed up on an island with a lighthouse and then slowly started going insane. Mm. Um, And it was written from the perspective of one of the people going insane with the lighthouse. And I was kind of like, that's really cool that they took this unfinished Poe story and then 
created this out of it. So I really want to read that short story now, um, even knowing that it's like post first draft and he never got anywhere with it. I'm kind of like, I really want to read it and see this in conjunction with it. Um, yeah, no, I actually got that question right, even though I didn't know the answer. It was like my guess. But uh, when we did the I trivia, left clues. there was no way you could get that. Wrong. Um, but yes, look, this isn't a slight on the lighthouse. It deserves to be in the conversation. And it's definitely, I think, one of the best made of all the movies on this list. Uh, I again, I'll watch that one again. Um, and I liked I liked uh, Defoe, especially. All right. This is hard because it sucks when you have to play the movie. I'm going to play the movie I least like on this list i like it a lot it definitely deserves to be at the top it's one of their benchmark movies it's not one that has made as big an impact on me as it has probably the biggest impact on the culture and that is midsummer uh midsummer seems to be the cultural you know complete home run in the time of memes uh cancel culture the pandemic all of those kind of ideas and loss and all exist in this one movie, which is crazy. Uh, it has so many things that were happening. Not And obviously, it was, they were happening after the movie came out. But it was so interesting how this movie really like became more and more popular after its theatrical run in in the time of people watching this and talking about it and sharing it and sharing her face uh, and sharing the final act. And I look, I think one of the reasons I we started together and I liked we both liked it, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. I think because I love Wicker Man so much. I can never get blown away by a movie like this because Wicker Man is just so much more surprising. And uh, but I do respect this movie a lot, and that's why I believe it has a place in the top four, uh, top five because it's you know really kind of put them on the map in a lot of ways. This is Ari Aster. This is 2019. This is right before uh, things were shut down. I think this is one of the last like kind of big screenings we went to, um, like you know with fancy drinks and fancy burgers and whatnot. Um, and you know I think I think. I still maintain that the first 25 minutes is like perfect, like just great storytelling. It's not hard at all. It's just her loss and watching a person suffer and then bad relationship drama. And then they go to Europe and it, then it becomes kind of funny. And, and some of the horror stuff is, uh, gets really great by the end, but it's definitely one of the most a 24 of the movies where that's what we're going to define a company by. This is, this is doing all those things. I like Midsommar because things happen. Um, this one is is one of sure, the A24 yeah. films where I was in the entire way through because they're always doing something. It's either a ritual or she needs to go here. Like it felt like it had a mechanism that was pushing them forward. There was a machine and we were working towards a goal with these, you know, these days in the festival and we're counting down and then this thing's going to happen on the end and then we're going to crown a May Queen and all this stuff. It felt like it had a vehicle, whereas a lot of these movies um, that I'll cite at the end for fear that you might put them on their list. There's a couple of these where I have no that was my gripe with them is it felt like it had no vehicle driving it. It just exists. And then the characters are just kind of drifting. And then in the last 10 minutes, somebody explodes and that's it. Um, But we'll talk about those in a bit. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what they are. <laughs> okay, I so am I right? We have three spots left. Yeah, three spots, and I'd say four great movies. One of them will be not making this, but I, for me, it's the one I'm. Pro- I probably will not go for. Will be something that's less horror. But yeah, let's see what you think. Okay, well, you only have one left, so oh, no. So this was the mistake of going at ten. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um. Okay. So my number three, I am going with Black Coat's Daughter. Oh, okay. Now the pressure's off then, because that's that's in my top two uh, all time, and it's one of my favorite horror films the last like decade. So the feel, black, yeah, that black coat. We'll call it February um, here. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, this one I love because this one for me, it feels like it has that vehicle. Um, this was early A24. What year is this? This is the next year. Yeah. The second year. Yeah. 2014. This one's 15. Yeah. But that's, yeah, this one. And this is where I don't necessarily understand how A24 was functioning at this time. I think they were doing negative pickups because this was made by traveling road show or traveling picture show. And, um, you know, there was a whole bunch of different production companies on this, but then A24 steps in to do what I guess was the distribution at the time. Um, and so they were running the distribution and it became kind of defined as an A24 movie because of that. Um, And I think that this is when they were really trying to figure out who they were and kind of what they were um, because it feels we're still trying to figure out how A24 is functioning at this time. But this was one of the ones that I also think really put them on the map um, that made people, you know, the witch I'd say was the biggest one, but this is people really starting to take notice that they were doing something. Yeah. yeah I think people like I mean, us, not box office. Yeah. I don't think this was yeah. like a blip in that, but I, I think horror fans like us, yeah. when we discovered it, we talked, a, I mean, I, yeah. this was my number one of that year. We really tried to get people to see this Yeah, and it was the structure of it is so interesting. You know, like mm-hmm. it's Lucy Boynton in a school dormitory as the holidays approach and young Kiernan Shipka is kind of looks up to her. She's a younger girl at the school. Both of them are kind of left there and no one, no parents come over the holidays. Yeah. And and then some horror stuff happens and it gets really tense and then it hard cuts in the middle of this movie. And then suddenly you're with Emma Roberts, who was pretty early in her, you know, kind of discovering Emma Robertsness, and you're watching a movie. I'm not going to say exactly how that break in time works or the break in time, but that, took me longer than most movies i've seen in recent years where something makes a jump and it took me like you know maybe 10 minutes to catch up Mm. mentally like with what happened but that was so rewarding because then once you do you're in like it's a it's a spell movie for sure um oz perkins you know he has not for me fulfilled the potential of this yet like his oh goodness next two films aren't you know they're both visually beautiful but i think i think there's a great movie to come i know he's making a nick Mm -hmm. cage horror film this year uh i believe i I heard that. Yeah, as well. I don't know what it is, um, but um, I'm glad. I'm glad it's this high uh, at number. Yeah. 10, so. so this this one definitely was one that I think we all. This is back killer POV days, and I think we all three had this as number one that year. And for me, this is when I started paying attention to A24 as a company. Like the prior year, Enemy has co- had come out. Right. I thought it was cool, but I wasn't like, who made that? I was far more enamored with it being like a Jose Mar- Saramago novel. Um, this one came out, and then suddenly it was like wait, who's the production team behind it and Oz Perkins and everything. And um, this one I absolutely love because for me, it was smart decisions. Like I will just, and this isn't revealing anything. There's a monster in it. I'll say there's a creature in it. And um, being friends with one of the producers, one of the producers produced one of my movies, seeing that creature and then seeing how they shot it. It was just such a clever way and how it was portrayed and how effective it is on screen. Um, so yeah, Black Coat's Daughter, number three, take us to two. And that makes me excited because it means a lot of people are going to discover that. I mean, putting it this mm-hmm. high up, people might see it. Okay, uh, at number two, uh, depending on what gets played at one, and I'll be very disappointed if it doesn't, but uh, these are, one is I think the best like horror film A24 made and the other is uh, the best movie A24 has made in my opinion. My favorite film of the last 10 years maybe longer under the skin at number two is my personal favorite one of my favorite movies of all time jonathan glazer's insane science fiction existential horror the ending of that is equally shocking as anything uh movies i would have put it maybe at number one but maybe not on a horror this, list 
It was my number one. Okay, so I'm going to put it at two just to make sure it makes sense because you are crazy enough to have lifted off and then I would have... No, I put it at number one. I I thought you were going to put it lower. No, no, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is like, when I think of A24 2, I think of... Because this is like still a risky... It's funny because it's it didn't do that well when it came out. And I started in a shopping mall. I was the only person in the entire theater when I started. And I felt so alone. It's one of the most existential movies I've ever seen because it's using an alien, literally, who looks like hot Scarlett Johansson, right? In a wig and a big fur coat going around Scotland, seducing men and then turning them into putty for 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 what is alluded to in the in the movie, but really clear in the book. It's to actually eat them uh, back. Like in the movie, you can't really pick that up. It's a good choice. But in the book that I read afterwards, it's they're harvesting, you know, humans. And it, that wouldn't have really worked in the movie. This They chose this very cool, uh, glossy, you know, uh, you know, aesthetic. And Glazer, you know, has made a great movie every decade. So I, I, I'm glad this I'm glad to hear you would add it. Number one, I couldn't take that yeah. risk. That's the hard thing with uh, doing doing such things. But Under the Skin uh, is at our number two spot. And my God, yeah. I'll be uh, shocked though if one movie doesn't make this list, and we'll see where you. Yeah, I kind of have to play it at number one, even though that there's a bunch of others that I want to give love to. We'll do it I right feel after. like we, I feel like we have to put Hereditary at number one because if the witch put A twenty four on the map, Hereditary was the one that made them what they have become, um, and really solidified also that you can get away with doing weird shit in horror and going this hard. Is, it goes hard too. Yeah, like when it, it goes, goes hard, it goes yeah. hard. And it's a disturbing movie and it kind of messes with you and and it has great acting. So I think the word elevated sometimes just gets, it's just being uh, used to say it's good. (laughs) Horror can be good and great and have great acting, you know? No, No, this one for me was a turning point for horror across the board, not even just a 24, but I felt like hereditary gave a lot of other companies who were really stuck in this rut of kind of haunted house ghost films permission to take risks and do something really bonkers and fucking off the wall. Like this was the moment for me where I, it kind of became like, okay, we can break the haunted house formula insidious set um, or paranormal activity set. And now we can go elsewhere. I remember seeing this. I saw this um, at the Alamo draft house. Yeah, We were meant to see it together, but you had to Mm -hmm. go to a screening of something of yours, right? In Winchester. I don't remember. There was a reason you had to go home. Yeah. I may have been, I was I presenting something. I just remember I freaked out because I was watching it with friends of ours. I can't remember who, but because I was meant to be seeing it with you and I was thinking, oh my God, when it got to the the cake, the girl eating the cake Mm -hmm. and not knowing what the story was going to be and having the, I was just thinking, oh man, you're going to be watching this and that's going to, that's going to hit. So that I had known about because um, when I went home, I had mentioned casually to Turek that I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to, they were doing a pre-screening of it at the Alamo draft house in Winchester. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to watch it while I was there. Cause I was supposed to go see it with all of you guys. And um, Turek was like, he'd already seen it. Cause he'd seen it at a festival. And he was like, Becca, I'm not going to tell you anything about the film. I'm not going to tell you anything about the characters, but I want to give you a heads up that there is a really realistic anaphylactic shock scene that I just want you to know about so you don't have an anxiety attack during it. And I was like, that's not going to give me an anxiety attack. I live with it every day of my life, man. Um, But thank you for the heads up. And yeah, that was a, I have seen so many bad portrayals of anaphylactic shock where like, you know, they eat a peanut and then, you know, it's 
this dramatic thing where, um, you know, like Will Smith's face is swelling and then he takes a shot of Benadryl and that's it. And he's fine. That's not how anaphylactic shock works. So no, it was a realistic portrayal, but diffused very rapidly with decapitation. So um, there you go. Any anxiety I was feeling just went out the window. Yeah. The other thing I think it's, uh, I think now that a 24 is, won all these Oscars and has positioned itself. The hope will be that they'll continue to make horror. Obviously it'd be Mm -hmm. very tragic if they turn their back, but I go back to Tony Collette in that film. I feel is as close as we've had for years to a best acting performance, like lead actor in a movie Oscar. Like that is Mm -hmm. the, if I was giving back Oscars for this period, that would be the Oscar I would give. Uh, She is so good. And people were cheering for her people. I mean, like there was actually like people I remember on Twitter that were like campaigning for her to get nominated and somehow did not. Because she's funny as hell in the darkest moment where she says things to her kids that you can't imagine. You can imagine thinking, but not saying out loud. And it's, it's, it's really, and also worst dad of all time, Gabriel Byrne, worst husband rather. Oh, now you agree. (laughs) Well, I love Gabriel Byrne, but you know. I love how this changes because at the time when this movie came out and we were talking about it on Shockwave. Yeah. You were very much like, well, what was he supposed to do? He didn't know how to respond. He was just backing up and giving him space. And I was like, no, she's putting up a wall and he needs to like bust in and take control and be like let's get you some help instead of just being like you do you you do you whatever's giving you space um that is the most passive thing that you, you just light I, all men on fire yeah That's the i you're, thought you're no better I, than the god and the, the, the demon in this movie <laughs> i need to go back to that show because i literally like burned him alive on that show where I was like, he is the worst male ever in like the history of husbands. Like it was just what he did in that movie. He's just chill. He's just chill. He let it. No, he let the whole thing go down. You never just chill. All right. If you're life happens to you, you got to take action. I'll be team uh, (laughs) Alex Wolf in this movie who uh, doesn't fare much better. Um, But yeah. Okay. Well, what are the, let's just look at quickly before we go to the whole list, the, the short runners okay so lighthouse gets bumped because of the veto in fabric gets bumped obviously lighthouse yes. is the one that would most people would expect would be on this i think of our list the one that would probably be most on the edge would be probably saint maud and enemy there'd be the two yes we're gonna replace it but i'm happy with the so counting down we have at 10 killing of a sacred deer nine saint maud x or at eight we have x pearl which we combine together because it's our fucking show yeah. Um, seven, it's Enemy, six, Green Room, five, The Witch, four, Midsommar, three, Black Coat's Daughter, two, Under the Skin, would have played it higher, and one is Hereditary. Um, let's give a quick mention to some of the ones that we've never heard of that we did well, not put on but, the but list. But first, look at, there's two that are, one is huge, it might be A24's other best movie. I left it off because I think it's just so sci-fi, not horror, and that's Ex Machina. Oh, yeah, that's one. I love it. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Mm -hmm. Like one of their best I've made. I just feel like that one really is sci-fi, like through and through. And so like if it was on somebody else's list, it could make sense. I think there's a difference between that and Under the Skin. Under the Skin is really a a darker tone at the core. Uh, The other one I thought was kind of could have gone either way would have been Climax by Gaspar Noe. Just because I thought about that one. You know. Yeah, that one, that is one where for me, it felt like it had no vehicle. Yeah. Like, and I guess that that was the point. Was it just a bunch of people running it's around an experience. on Yeah, that one's a visual yeah. experience. And and I do love that film. But it, if it was in the 10 spot, I would have like played it at 10, but not higher. Yeah. Um, okay. So what are some of the randos? 
Okay, so the one that I rewatched, which I fucking did not like, I don't mean to throw visceral yeah. at this film because I'm sure that the filmmaker is lovely. Um, it comes at night was not my jam. Well, it, um, so it comes and at night. I really tried. Look, I saw that in the theater on the opening. I like that guy's films. Uh, it's mm-hmm. so beautifully made. But yeah, uh, when we when we talk about the most anticlimactic, the when a movie ends and you just don't feel like it landed somewhere that's what i had yeah. a problem with the the style of that was like perfect and i if it, if that had had a banger 15 minute ending right like mm-hmm. where everything happened also it's coming in the wake of uh the walking dead and it feels yeah. like a lot of what has been it almost felt like somebody doing a high-end version of that who had never actually heard of the show like i could imagine directly oh i never watched that it's like well maybe you should have just so you know you're kind of treading onto you know kind of old territory but it looks incredible it looks beautiful it is visually beautiful but yeah this is one where it was another where i was like it just had no vehicle compelling me to keep watching um i could have turned it off midway through and been just as satisfied as getting the whole way it just it needed something more for me but i knew you had seen it in the theater i I remember you talking about it and i was like oh god he's gonna play no i I didn't i didn't love it either i I was i was actually it felt like the problem that some people have with a 24 films I had with that film. Um, mm-hmm. But I would rewatch it. I might rewatch it someday and be like, Oh, the dynamics are cool. Um, what did you, the monster I I feel is a good movie, okay. but it's not good enough to be in this kind of list. It's what, it, yeah. it, it's what structure it's a kind of back and forth flashback structure is decent, but mm-hmm. maybe holds it back a little bit. It's okay yeah. for me. Yeah. 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 I like Brian Bertino. I liked the monster. Yeah. Um, I have never seen Mojave. No, that's the so... one that we both found on this list. It says January, 2016, never had heard of this film till we did prep the show. I've never seen false positive either. Oh, uh, Dude, that was my least favorite movie of two years ago. I think it was, uh, it's a Hulu thriller. Like, so it went direct to Hulu with Piers Brosnan as a gynecological doctor who is uh, inseminating every single woman who comes in there. They don't realize it. And he's like kind of using this one same. And it's, it's horror, but it was just one of those movies that did not totally did not work for me. I really, wow, it's slick and well-made, but it just, and it doesn't feel, it feels more lifetime mixed with a 24, if you know what I mean. It's. And then the other one on this list that I have never seen is the eternal daughter, which is recent with Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I watched it right before we did our top, tens last year and it, like it came out right before it's more of an art house film than a horror film. there almost no horror it's a little bit of a fragments of a ghost story uh she goes back to her childhood kind of house it's very well made just didn't work for me particularly um obviously we didn't put things like men and bodies 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 you know decent Mm-mm. lamb lamb was okay well lamb started us down the road of doing this episode because we both yes. didn't really love lamb uh, and we we're like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of movies that fall into that kind of category. It's like interesting, but it just they're... hole in the ground. Interesting. Very well Did... made that one. That one's a little yeah. creepier. Um, then there's ones that aren't really hard. Like High Life is much more sci-fi. High Life is super sci-fi. Yeah. And I wanted to give some love to Woodshock just because Kate and Laura are friends. And I really appreciate what they did with that. It was weird um and surrealistic and was really it had a lot of artistic style behind it it did not necessarily it wasn't a plotty movie i'll say as much as it was um girl taking a trip and kind of experiencing things but it's got some really interesting visuals in it yeah i never pushed play on that one because the trailer looked cool but it just didn't look like it Mm -hmm. had a story at all but um under the silver lake i think is obviously less horror but 
you know, interesting, but obviously was mm-hmm. way too long uh, for, you know, for what it is. And I think one of the ones that some people might be questioning why it's not on the list, but it really isn't a horror film, but it is an interesting film. And that's A Ghost Story, which is another a a film that really put A24, another one of the ones that put them on the map. It isn't horror at all, but it is about a ghost, I guess, their viewpoint on life passing by. Yep. Uh, beautifully made movie. I like it. I don't love it, um, but it's not really a horror film. So, yeah. so I think it makes sense to not really be on this list. Um, I think that's pretty much it. That's kind of it. Yeah. That's our summation of A twenty four, y'all. Yeah. So that's we'll we'll post that list on on the, some cheat sheet or something so so people know it. But um, I think we didn't do too bad given uh, it's hard to co draft lists. Uh, but I don't think that was too far off what I would have. I think we came pretty. Yeah, close, I think that's pretty close. Well. We hope to see all of you at the Make Believe Festival in Seattle this weekend. You're as many people who can. So get your plane tickets right now and get your butt to Seattle. And then otherwise, we will be back next week with another deep cut. And then um, it looks like two weeks after that, we've got a really cool director coming on. Yes, that will be exciting. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we'll see you guys Thank in Seattle. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Have a good one. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 